0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tokat is a province in Turkey along the Black Sea coast region and it's a place that has a lengthy and sometimes dark history. At the end of the 12th century, it was conquered by the Seljuk Turks, and from there was incorporated into the Ottoman Empire in 1392. Among the most famous landmarks of Tokat that still remain today is the ruined castle that was built atop a series of steep hills overlooking the province. Back in 2009, restoration efforts began on the citadel, It was during this work when archaeologists broke through the walls of the lower level and made a surprising discovery. A twisting series of secret tunnels that led to a hidden dungeon. But this wasn't just any dungeon. It turns out this one in particular has a unique claim to fame. Back in 1442 the Ottomans captured two young princes named Radu and Vlad in order to ensure the loyalty of their father who was a powerful leader in Wallachia. As I'm sure you can imagine, life down in the dungeon was not easy for the two boys. And it was there in this cold, dark prison where young Vlad grew to hate his Ottoman captors with an unbridled fury. This was the sort of hatred that was so great and so lasting that in 1462 the now adult Vlad did something so utterly shocking it literally made a name for himself. This occurred as Vlad's forces retreated from a particularly fierce battle against the Ottomans. So what Vlad did was he ordered 20,000 people to be impaled on stakes outside the city of Targovist as a deterrent to the pursuing army. And it worked. When the Ottomans got a look at this horrific scene of a massive forest of rotting corpses impaled on spikes, they turned and fled back to Constantinople. It was because of this incident that Vlad Tepish III, Who had spent several years of his childhood living in a dungeon earned the nickname vlad the impaler although we know him today by another even more infamous name that was taken from his father vlad dracul that name of course is vlad dracula contrary to popular belief dungeons like the one that once held the real life dracula weren't actually all that common Although books, movies, and role-playing games have given us the idea that every medieval castle all had some sort of elaborate torture dungeon hidden deep down below, that's actually not true. The medieval period wasn't really a great age for people to be imprisoned. More often than not, prisoners were either fined, mutilated, or put to death. Only the highest-ranking prisoners were ever incarcerated for any lengthy period of time. It would have been considered too expensive and time-consuming to feed and keep most commoners in such a fashion. The word dungeon comes to us from the French term donjon, which was a term that referred to the central freestanding towers of a castle known as a keep. It was in these keeps that sometimes high-ranking prisoners would be held on a short-term basis, although in many instances high-ranking nobles who were being held prisoner were allowed to walk freely around the castle. It wasn't until around the 13th century that some castle builders began installing cells that we would come to think of as a dungeon. Since castles were often constructed to house a noble's family and servants, space was at a premium. This meant that the dungeon cells would usually be built down in the basement levels underground. Although some castles would further conserve space by building cells into the walls or rooms of outside gatehouses. That doesn't mean there weren't places in castles, though, where people would suffer horrific torture. They were usually just smaller. One major space-saving innovation in dungeon building was something called the oubliette. This was taken from another French term, oublier, meaning to forget. And although most medieval dungeons weren't quite the horrific torture chambers we imagined them to be, the oubliette was something entirely different. This was typically a narrow pit in the floor with no light entering it, in which the prisoner would be thrown down into and forgotten about. These oubliettes were so tight and compact, there was rarely room for the prisoner to be able to sit or crouch down. Only enough space to stand there and suffer. Sometimes lords would starve the victim, or if they were unlucky enough, they might have just enough food and water to be tossed down into the hole, that they might survive under the most terrible conditions. Imagine being forced to stand in a pitch black hole for months or even years. It's no wonder that so many of the people who endured such torture were driven mad. There were plenty of unfortunate victims who died in the Oubliette. Some Oubliettes were built with spikes in the floor, which resulted in pretty much what you imagine when a prisoner was dropped into the pit. In many cases, the corpses were left down there to rot and be eaten by rats, which made it even worse when a new prisoner was tossed down into the pit to share the company of the decaying corpse, as well as the hungry vermin. There are many such stories of oubliettes being used in castles throughout medieval history. But perhaps there is no more terrifying tale than the one that was built inside Ireland's Lep Castle. Not only does Lep Castle have one of the bloodiest histories in the Emerald Isle, but it's also a place that many people claim is the most haunted castle in the world. I'm Nate Hale, currently shackled to the desk inside my podcasting dungeon, and this is The Conspirators. Ireland is a land of great beauty that truly lives up to its nickname, the Emerald Isle. Throughout the countryside, the lush green hills spread out for miles in every direction. Spend some time there and you'll soon realize what a special place it is. It's a country that, among other things, is known for its many myths and legends, many of which originate from a history that's steeped in blood. Around 300 BC, the first Iron Age warriors known as the Celts landed on Ireland's shores bringing with them many of the myths of the spirits and magical creatures we still recognize today, such as the leprechaun and the fairy. These stories would become further intertwined with Christian mythology by the time St. Patrick and other missionaries first came to the Emerald Isle in the 5th century. By the year 600 AD, Christianity had overtaken most of the older pagan religions, and from there a new renaissance in manuscript illumination and metalworking began. In the 8th century, Vikings invaded Ireland, bringing a bit of their Scandinavian roots. Although in 1014, Brian Borough, the High King of Ireland, drove them back out. When the Normans arrived in the 12th century, they had a tremendous influence on in the country that can still be seen today. These invaders came primarily from the Cambro-Norman families in Wales and the Anglo-Normans from England. They built many stone churches and castles, many of which are still standing today. In 1541, King Henry VIII had the Irish Parliament declare him King of England. An official policy of plantation would lead to thousands of English and Scottish Protestant settlers moving to the country. The 17th century was particularly violent with the imposition of the harsh regime of penal laws. These were a series of laws that stripped power from the Catholics, denying them, among other things, the right to own or lease land above a certain value. It also forbade any sort of Catholic higher education, and banned most Catholic clergy. Although by the 18th century these laws were eased, by 1778 Catholics only owned about 5% of the land in Ireland. All of which is to say is that with that much history, and the bloodshed that went with it, it also meant there were plenty of ghost stories to go with them, many of which are centered around the more than 30,000 castles that can be found throughout Ireland. One such legend goes that toward the end of the 13th century, actual human blood was mixed with the mortar to build Granagh Castle along the northern bank of the River Sur. It's also claimed that a woman named Margaret Ormond, better known as the Countess of Granny, once lived and committed numerous atrocities there. The Countess was known to be especially cruel and would often imprison her enemies in the tunnels beneath the castle and let them starve to death down below. It's also said that one time the Countess had a jester who failed to amuse her with his jokes and tricks. But one thing he did that actually interested her was when he fashioned a rope with several nooses attached. She became so interested in this invention that she ordered that it be put to the test. Seven innocent peasants were rounded up and hanged from the battlements to amuse her. This delighted the Countess of Granny so much that the so-called butler knot was incorporated into her family coat of arms. Over the years, people have reported all sorts of paranormal activity from the castle ruins, including floating orbs of light, ghostly figures wandering the grounds, and the agonized wails of the dead rising up from the tunnels beneath the castle. In 1625, a man named James Shaw built a castle near the tiny village of Baligali, along the coastline north of Belfast. Shaw had big plans for his estate, most of which involved creating a lasting legacy that would be passed down to his heirs. So when he learned that his wife Isabella was pregnant, at first he was ecstatic. But on the day of the child's birth, that excitement turned to rage when he realized his wife had given birth to a daughter, not a son. Shaw's response to this perceived insult was to lock Isabella away in one of the castle towers and to have the baby girl taken away from the estate entirely. This drove Isabella into a deep despair. Shortly after, she fell from the window of her tower prison to her death. Some say it was an accident as she tried to escape and find her baby. Others suggest that Isabella took her own life. Although still others claim that her husband pushed her out the window. In any of these cases, it's claimed that although Lady Isabella died long ago, she can still be seen to this day. Today, Valley Castle has been turned into a hotel. They even have a specific ghost room dedicated to Lady Isabella's spirit. Although the tower where Lady Isabella was kept is strictly off-limits to guests, visitors who have managed to get inside have claimed to have felt a deep chill in the air and the odd sensation that they're not alone. Some people have claimed to have heard a woman's disturbing laughter echoing through the hallways. Others claim to have seen the figure of a woman staring out the tower window or wandering the halls as if she's looking for something. I could go on and on with stories of haunted castles throughout ireland but there's one in particular that's considered the mount everest of haunted places and that's lep castle some paranormal investigators have even dubbed the place the most haunted castle in the world and even if there aren't any ghosts you'll have to agree that lep castle has a history it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper To be honest, there's a lot about the early days of Castle that we really don't know. Most historical records say the main tower was built anywhere from the 13th century to the late 15th century. Although some scholars narrow that down to right around the year 1250 AD. It was built in County Offaly, which is roughly smack dab in the center of Ireland if you're looking at a map. There is some evidence that the site the castle was built on was once home to a much older ancient stone structure that may have been built by the Druids. The region where the castle was built shows signs of human habitation dating back at least as far as the iron age in 500 bce and possibly even farther than that at the time the first castle structure went up the land was ruled by the o'bannon clan although they were considered the secondary chieftains of the area and were really the subject of the ruling o'carroll clan the original name for the castle was lem o'bannon meaning leap of the o'bannon's Legend has it that two O'Bannon brothers were fighting for control of the clan. The brothers decided to settle this by jumping off a rocky outcropping near where the castle was to be built. Whoever survived got to be chief. In either case, the O'Bannons didn't get to keep the castle they built for too long. The O'Carrolls were an ancient and powerful Gaelic-Irish clan. Some stories claim that an early member of the clan named O'Sherbal fought alongside King Brian Borough in 1014 at the Battle of Clontarf driving the Vikings out of Ireland. Sometime around the end of the 1400s, the O'Carrolls decided they liked the castle so much they took it from the O'Bannons. At first, Lepp Castle only consisted of a single rectangular stone tower. But over time, more wings and walls were put up, turning the place into a large fortress that had a reputation for being impenetrable. This was something that was needed by the O'Carrolls. Over the centuries, they'd built up a lot of bad blood between them and other rival clans, as well as members of their own family, jockeying for position. There is an ancient chronicle of medieval Irish history known as the Annals of the Four Masters. And in that book it tells the tale of the Earl of Kildare, Gerald Fitzgerald, who tried unsuccessfully to seize the castle in 1513. Then he tried it again just three years later. Only this time around he managed to partially demolish sections of it. The first O'Carroll to rule Lepcastle was John O'Carroll, but he died of the plague toward the end of the 15th century, passing the mantle of leadership onto his son, Mulrooney. The son gained a reputation for bravery in battle against the Fitzgeralds, among others, earning him the nickname the Great Mulrooney." He led the O'Carrolls for more than 40 years before dying in 1532. Mulrooney's death caused a power struggle among the remaining clan that pitted brother against brother. Tighe had a reputation as a hothead and was prone to violence. Firganum, Had a little bit better of a reputation, but not by much. The third brother, Thaddeus, trained as a priest and was put in charge of the chapel at the top of the tower. Part of the legend, the three brothers fought constantly over who should get to rule both the clan and Castle. Things grew increasingly heated, especially with Tig, who pretty much only knew one way to settle a disagreement. With violence. This is when things got very Game of Thrones in Lepcastle. So the story goes that one evening Thaddeus, the priest, kept holding up mass as he waited for his brother Tig to arrive. But Tig was really late, so Thaddeus finally gave up and started the ceremony without him. This really infuriated Tig when he burst into the chapel only to realize mass had already begun. So Tig did what Tig did best and drew his sword. Tig charged at his brother swinging the sword and screaming about how insulted he was. Thaddeus tried to calm Tig down and explain, but he never got the chance as his brother thrust the blade into his midsection. Thaddeus cried out as Tig yanked the blade free. Thaddeus stumbled away, clutching at his wound and spilling blood all over the chapel floor. He finally collapsed and died over the altar. It should come as no surprise that because of this incident, that this part of the castle would forever become known as the Bloodied Chapel. According to one part of the legend of Left Castle, this was an event that would forever change the structure cursing it forever. Consider that this was not only a case of brother killing brother, but this occurred during mass to a priest who died right on top of the altar. It's pretty easy to see where some people might get a wee bit superstitious about this. For centuries after, people have reported seeing Thaddeus' ghost inside the bloody chapel slumped over the altar where he died. Other witnesses have claimed to have seen Thaddeus walking up the staircase heading toward the chapel in time for mass. Not long after Thaddeus' murder, Tighe was killed by one of his nephews. This left the only remaining brother, Ferganum, in charge of both the clan and the castle. Although he was considered slightly more even-tempered than his brother, Ferganum still had a fierce reputation. He enlisted the aid of another clan, the McMahons, to help them defeat a common enemy. To celebrate their victory in battle, the O'Carrolls invited the McMahons to a banquet in their honor at Lep Castle. This again resulted in something that fans of George R.R. Martin might think sounds familiar. That's because during their visit, all the McMahons were murdered. One version claims the clan was killed by drinking poisoned wine, while others say they were each stabbed to death in their sleep. Now, if you're keeping score, you probably realize that's a lot of bloodshed inside one castle. We can debate the existence of ghosts endlessly but if spirits really were going to occupy any structure then lep castle seems like the prime location for it to happen in 1659 lepcastle passed by marriage into the hands of a new family this occurred after finola the daughter of the last remaining o'carroll married an englishman named captain darby it was after this point that further renovations and refinements were made changing the castle's overall look to something less battle-worthy and more elegant and befitting a wealthy English family. One story claims that their son Jonathan buried a load of treasure on the castle's grounds during the English Civil War to hide it from thieves. Part of the story says that Jonathan murdered the too many hired to help him bury the loot, in order to ensure that he was the only one who knew where it was buried. But Jonathan was later imprisoned for treason. When he got out of jail, he returned to the castle, hoping to retrieve his fortune. Only by the time he returned, so many renovations had been made, he couldn't figure out where the treasure was buried. To this day, no one knows where, or if, a treasure was ever hidden. In 1881, the castle was passed to Jonathan Charles Darby, who married a woman named Mildred Dill just eight years later. Mildred had a taste for the macabre, as well as a vivid imagination. All of which she turned toward a new career of writing gothic novels under the pen name Andrew Mary. It doesn't take much of a stretch of the imagination to see how living in a home with the reputation that Lip Castle had could inspire someone to begin writing romantic horror stories. That question remains, though, just how fertile was Mildred's imagination when she began to tell people she was actually seeing ghosts. Mildred began telling people that she would sometimes hear strange noises from parts of the castle where no one should have been. She said it sounded like large pieces of furniture were being moved around. On another occasion Mildred awoke terrified in the middle of the night by the strange sensation that there was someone else in the room with her. She was shocked when she looked toward the foot of the bed and saw a woman dressed all in red with a hand gesturing toward her. At first she thought it might have been one of the servants coming into the room to wake her for some reason. But when she reached to light a candle by her bedside she turned back only to realize the figure had vanished. This was the so-called Red Lady, one of the more well-known ghosts who is said to haunt Castle. Some sightings of her claim to see her holding a dagger. Depending on which version of her story you hear, the Red Lady was a young woman who was raped by one of the O'Carrolls and became pregnant by him. When the child was born, the O'Carrolls killed the baby with a dagger, after which the woman took her own life with the very same dagger. A different version of the story says the woman was chased down and stabbed to death by one of the O'Carrolls when she tried to escape the castle. After seeing the Red Lady, Mildred Darby became fascinated by the possibility that she was living in a haunted house. She began holding seances in the castle, hoping to contact the spirits. She invited other like-minded individuals to the castle, holding spiritual meetings, and trying to learn everything she could about the ghosts inhabiting Lep Castle. Mildred's most terrifying encounter with the supernatural occurred one night, when she met face to face with an entity that's sometimes referred to as the Elemental. According to legend, this is an ancient creature that had protected the land the castle was built on long before the fortress ever existed. The land where Left Castle was built was once home to the druids, who performed mystic rituals on the property. Although the Elemental was originally thought of as a benign entity, some stories claim Mildred caused it to become angry and aggressive, with all her mystic summoning rituals she and the other spiritualists performed. One night, Mildred was alone in her room writing when she heard something bump against the door out in the hall. She opened the door and looked out, only no one was there. But the hallway did reek of a gut-churning owner of rotting meat. But seeing nothing and wanting to get away from the stench, Mildred shut the door once again. Then something began scratching at the door and knocking lightly. She said she also heard a sound like someone sniffing at the foot of the door. Thinking there might be an actual intruder in the castle, Mildred grabbed a loaded pistol and quickly yanked the door back open. Instead of opening fire, Mildred froze where she stood, because there was something crouched in the doorway. Something, not human. She later described this creature as being about the size of a sheep, although she said its features were somewhat human. They were monstrous and deformed with large black eyes that she said showed some kind of lust. Mildred barely had a moment to take it all in before the creature leaped at her. She fired the pistol at point blank range but for some reason her shot missed. She fired again, but once again the bullet appeared to go astray and struck a piece of furniture behind the creature. Mildred screamed in terror as she brought the pistol up and pressed it right against the creature's chest and pulled the trigger. The creature didn't appear to be affected by the shot at all as it brought its arms up to grab her. Mildred stumbled backwards, tripping and falling onto her back. Immediately after, she passed out. When she awoke sometime later, the creature was gone. It's certainly a good story, but we have to take it with more than a grain of salt. Mildred was a fiction writer, after all, and one who was eager to see ghosts. She published a story in the journal The Occult Review in 1908, writing it under her pen name. Even still, there are plenty of people who, to this very day, said that stories of mysterious creatures and ghostly figures in red are just the tip of the iceberg of what lurks within the walls of Lepp Castle. Other spectral figures people claim to have seen include the spirit of an old man sitting in an armchair near the main hall's fireplace. The main hall is also reportedly the place where visitors have encountered the ghosts of two little girls named Emily and Charlotte. Emily is said to have died from a fall, and her spirit is sometimes said to be seen falling from the castle's battlements. Charlotte is sometimes seen limping through the great hall and appears to have some sort of deformed leg. Other stories claim the spirit of a scantily clad woman can be seen and even worse heard. Sometimes late at night her blood-curdling screams can be heard echoing through the halls. There's also the ghost of a monk who is said to haunt the priest's house, which was built in 1571. People who spent the night in that house reported the feeling of an invisible body climbing into bed with them. And sometimes they could even hear the sound of the monk's spirit snoring right next to them. These sort of ghostly encounters were reported right up until 1922 when the priest's house, along with much of the rest of the castle, was destroyed in a fire. Ireland has long been a land in conflict with the British Empire. From 1919 to 1921, the Irish Republican Army fought a war of independence against British forces. This was followed by the Irish Civil War that accompanied the establishment of the Irish Free States. An entity that was independent from the United Kingdom, but still under British rule. Realizing how much anti-English sentiment was brewing in the country, the Darby's decided to leave their home and move back to England in early 1922. On July 30th of that year, shortly after the Civil War officially began, a group of eleven men showed up at Lepp Castle and demanded that the caretaker, Richard Dawkins, let them in so that they could bed down for the night. But that's not what they did. Instead they forced their way in and began dumping gasoline everywhere. Then they set the castle ablaze. The following day, more men showed up and decided to burn down even more of what they saw as a symbol of British authority. Richard Dawkins tried to save some of the furniture and other precious belongings by hiding them, but looters found his hiding spot and either stole or destroyed everything they got their hands on. This included a stack of unpublished short stories and other longer manuscripts that Mildred left behind, all of which went up in flames. After that, for many years, the burned-out remains of Lepp Castle was left alone, just a charred skeleton of what it had once been. Although some locals would claim that on some nights they could see strange lights flickering in the windows of the dark silhouette of the bloody chapel tower, others who dared venture onto the property would sometimes claim they could hear odd animal noises in the distance and could smell the distinct odor of something rotten. In 1974, the castle ruins were purchased by an Australian historian named Peter Bartlett, whose mother had a family tree dating back to the O'Bannons. Bartlett began restoring the castle until his death in 1989. That work has continued with subsequent owners ever since. In 1991, new owner Sean Ryan said that while he was working inside the castle, he was injured after he got yanked off a ladder twice by invisible hands. After a series of other accidents occurred, Ryan said he finally got fed up and decided to call upon the spirits and told them to knock it off. He said to them that he was just trying to restore their ancestral home to its former glory, and that if they wanted it to look good, they'd all have to get along. After that. Ryan said things got better. It was back in 1922 that a terrifying secret was unearthed inside Lepp Castle. Some workmen who were doing restoration work outside the bloody chapel made a horrific discovery. That's where they found the castle's own oubliette, which, if you recall, was a small chamber lined with wooden spikes meant for dumping the bodies of prisoners. This one was discovered beneath a hidden trap door, and it wasn't empty either. The oubliette was full of skeletons. So many skeletons, in fact, that it took three cartloads to gather up all the bones and clear them out. It's estimated that around 150 human remains were discovered. But even that's not the most disturbing part. It's one thing to think that these might have been the skeletons of people who had died during the bloody history dating back to the 15th or 16th century, during the castle's early days. But among the piles of bones that were hauled out of the pit was a pocket watch. And researchers who studied the timepiece were able to determine this watch had likely been manufactured sometime in the mid-19th century. This was just a few decades before the workmen found the hidden chamber. Which means someone kept using the oubliette, centuries after it was built. It also, of course, begs the question, whose watch was it? And who sent them to their death inside Lepp Castle? The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. Thanks so much for listening. I have some new Patreon supporters to thank. Thank you to Tucker, Joe, and Escalcio. You're all amazing. And thank you to all my other supporters as well for helping keep the lights on and making the show a success. Just a reminder the patrons of the show get access to all sorts of awesome bonuses including stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and our ever-growing library of bonus mini-episodes, the latest of which just dropped a few days ago. If you're interested in becoming a patron, I'll put a link in the show notes. One other great way you can help support the show is to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. I know a lot of podcasts ask for your great reviews, and that's because it really does help boost our profile on all the dark, arcane, magical algorithms. By giving us a great review and recommending us to more people, it boosts us in the podcasting charts and spreads the love even further. Currently, you can find The Conspirators on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else you get your podcasts. We also have a website, theconspiratorspodcast.com, where you can listen to our entire back catalog of shows. Other than that, I also encourage you to follow us along on social media. Currently, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also send us an old-fashioned email at theconspiratorspodcast at gmail.com. Recently, I've received a couple of great suggestions for future topics from listeners just like you, and I hope you'll keep them coming. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.